Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today I have the opportunity to interview Callie and Roz Picardo on their new book, Money Talks, a biblical take on earning, saving, spending, and giving. Callie works as the Vice President of Development for United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. And so she is an expert on finance, on raising money, and on stewardship. And Roz, who was previously on episode 42 for a book that he co-authored with Michael Beck, Roz is a pastor, he's a coach and a consultant. And uh, he also serves a leadership role at United Seminary as well. He is the director of United Seminary's Pauli Center for Supervision and Leadership Formation. He works with the Doctor of Ministry program at United and is also the director of external partnership. So they bring a lot of wisdom to the topic of biblical stewardship. You're going to love this conversation. They're able to weave uh, the theology of John Wesley's views of, of money with scripture and just real practical takeaways. So I hope you enjoy uh, the interview. And again, check out their new book, Money Talks, a biblical take on earning, saving, spending, and giving. And I have all that information in the show notes. And welcome, Callie and Roz. It's so great to have you today. Hey, thanks for having us, Brian. I'm so excited to talk with you about your your new book, uh, Money Talks. And can you talk a little bit to let viewer listeners and viewers uh, in on uh, who you are, some key moments in your spiritual journey as a couple that have led you now to write a book together on on finances and money? Yeah, happy to, Brian. So Roz and I've been married. It'll be 11 years this summer, and. Um, I come from a family where all my, all, I feel like all my family members work in finance of some sort. So grew up with that strong financial background, but also started with my faith, really digging into the Bible and that having a biblical basis for my finances were so important. So this handsome pastor asked me to marry him and I said, yes, but. Yep. There was a prerequisite. He had to go through the Crown Financial Ministries Bible study with me to make mm -hmm. sure we were on the same page with our faith and finances together first. And so we did that and it was several weeks. Yeah, um, it was over a number of weeks. We actually, it, we were so close to our wedding that we took a two week break for our wedding and honeymoon and then resumed the course afterwards, but had a number of groups from our, um, our church join us. Actually, a number of couples. We had one couple that had gotten married right at the beginning of the study. We got married in the middle, and then there was another getting married right at the end of it. And so one particular couple, as we were going through, um, struggled because they wanted to go on this lavish honeymoon, but didn't have the resources. And so they were going to charge it, put it on their credit card. And so as we were going through the study, they thought, well, what if we pick up extra shifts at work and actually pay cash for this honeymoon and not go on the lavish one, but still go on a nice, still one. A nice one? And that really changed their perspective. And it's all through this Crown Financial study that we both went through together. So that was a neat experience. No, that is, that is powerful. I remember Crown and people use Dave Ramsey. These were just like these bread and butter tools that folks have gotten away from and which kind of raises the question, which is always kind of ironic. There's, there's been these ministries, the Bible talks a lot about money yet, uh, as we were even talk, talking about before we even started recording, I mean, pastors still run into money problems. Uh, but so what are some of the common 
problems that you see really in humans in general, Christians and non-Christians regarding money and finances? You know, I think the first thing is um, we often compartmentalize our faith from our finances. And so we think, all right, God, you can have all of this area in my life in these different sections, uh, but not the area of finance. So it's like we accept Jesus as Savior. You save me from my sins but are you really Lord of my life? And that is from our schedules to our checkbooks. And I heard once said that the last conversion that takes place is the checkbook conversion. And so we have a hard time releasing it. So the concept that it all belongs to God is something that a lot of Christians maybe know intellectually, but have a hard time following. And if it all belongs to God, I mean, you've got to take care of all of it, not just the money that you're giving, you know, in theory, 10%, but realistically, a lot of people aren't at 10%, 10%, they'd have to get a lot of their finances in order to be able to even get there. Yeah. And some people are afraid of doing a budget. They think, oh my goodness, a budget, like I'd have to be so constricted in my living. And I give the example, if you have a stack of money and you throw it up in the air and you hope it lands where it's supposed to, it's not going to. A budget's just actually putting the money where it's supposed to go. And then if that doesn't work, you adjust it. Um, But that's the first step is actually figuring out where the money's going. And then, but most people just, they just spend without having that conscious um, intentionality with it. And then the overspending often happens and leads to debt. And then the debt means you're constrained on what you can do long-term with giving, saving, and investing for the future. And I, you know, I know Christians and even non-Christians that wish they could be more generous, Mm -hmm. but they don't know how to make it work. I can't think of a person who doesn't want to be more generous, but it's just having a hard time making it work and thinking through and being intentional about that. And so the biggest thing really that's facing Americans today um, is debt. You know, it's ironic. We all work at seminary, you know, you and uh, Callie and myself. And so we see pastors come out with an enormous amount of debt. Um, Then the parishioners we serve. um, And then we're trying to get jobs because we hope to go into ministry and get paid for what we've been trained to do. And usually it's not, you know, a, you know, uh, a role that you're going to get paid a ton of money. So yeah. how I do don't you... know anyone that says, I want to be a pastor so I can make lots of money. That's yeah. not why you go into ministry. <laughs> and so it's kind of figuring out that debt repayment and how that goes. Um, so something that was formative for me was coming out of seminary with over $50,000 in debt um, and starting off as a church planter. I never took any courses in terms of money while I was in seminary. Nobody taught me about personal stewardship, really, or even church stewardship. And so um, I decided, hey, I want to be out of debt. And so what I what I was challenged to do was make a budget, but not only make a budget, but continue to give and tithe, even though I was in the position I was in. And so whenever I got extra gifts, whether it was Christmas, whether it was birthday, whatever, I would apply extra money to my loans. And sure enough, a few years later, I ended up becoming debt-free. Now, I don't know how that happened, but I really attribute that to consistency, study plotting, as it says in Proverbs, and also um, continuing to give. 
No, that's a, that's a great story. And uh, again, on the podcast, I've talked about my own personal life. And uh, when I had a really difficult divorce, that put me in a really bad financial position. Um, it's been 10 years. And so I, I kind of uh, just locked in on all the everything and everything advice that I could get on the money stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm literally I'm uh, miraculously almost uh, debt free. It's been that way for like, like I did it four years ahead of my actual plan because I literally went all in every penny. I'd live like a pauper to pay everything off and to get myself back into a, a rebound, take care of my kids and, you know, still did stuff. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just testify that, you know, you, you, you lock in what you just said. Um, and it's, um, it's powerful. And, and one of the phrases that jumped out of your book, um, um, money talks was that the, it's, I think it's at towards the end, you, you, you do a contrast between abundance mentality and a scarcity mentality. And again, I had it, obviously I just looked at your book, but I mean, that was the game changer for me 10 years ago was even though I literally on paper, Lord have mercy, I was uh, borderline insolvent there for a, for a change other than I had a good job, praise the Lord, right? And I was able to um, generate income, but um, but I I got this, somebody talked to our time about scarcity versus abundance, and I locked into that abundance thing and started thinking that way. And, and I, I actually attribute that mindset shift uh, to me with the Lord's help being able to pay off debt. So can you talk about abundance and scarcity? Again, I love that part of your book. And I was so glad to see that there. Yeah, it comes from Steve Covey. He was the one that originally kind of pioneered some of that, but we really tried to say, well, how does that apply to our finances? You know, God is the God of abundance. Yeah. So if we are handling our finances God's way, there's an abundance with it. Um, and you're not going to give if you don't have the abundance mindset. And for us, one of the things that encourages us with our generosity is we just start with gratitude. Yeah. I mean, when we start thinking about all the many ways that God has blessed us again and again and again and keeps blessing us, why wouldn't we want to give? And we can bless others and then they can be blessed to be a blessing and bless others. I mean, that's where you see this just kingdom impact take off. But so often when we're letting money be Lord of our life, we, we feel like we have to hoard it. We have to hold it close. I mean, someone might take it. Like, what if our retirement goes down? You know, will we ever be able to retire? Like, is our self-worth tied with our net worth? Then in that case, we better store up as much as we can because there might not be enough one day. And it is such a different mindset when you have God as your God. And that abundance mentality versus that scarcity mentality. Yeah, I've seen this apply to churches as well. Uh, some of the mm -hmm. churches I've served or been involved in, you know, some have that abundance mindset and some have the scarcity mindset. And it's interesting because even a church that's resource rich in terms of finances could still have a scarcity mindset. Yes. And those that maybe don't have as much financial resources are still willing to take risk be entrepreneurial to reach people for the kingdom. And so, uh, you know, one story, you know, case in point is I've never done a capital campaign prior to the pandemic, believe it or not. And now I found myself uh, just finishing up my second one. But uh, one of the common questions was, well, where are we going to borrow money for this? And it was a smaller campaign. And my answer was no, because I believe God's blessed us with all the resources we need right here in this room. And sure enough, uh, we're about 20% uh, of our way from the goal that we were setting out to achieve. 
but it's really built a lot of confidence in the people of God because they're able to see, oh, wow, um, we don't have to, our first thing thought isn't just to go get a loan. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, sometimes a loan is appropriate. You're buying a house or a building or whatever, but when it's for minor repairs and things that need to be done, routine maintenance, uh, your mentality is hopefully not to just go and run and get a loan, uh, but some churches are like that. Well, money's free right now, a low interest rate, but you're really cheating God's people out of a blessing. And so again, that scarcity versus abundance mentality applies to not only individuals, but also to local faith communities, institutions, organizations as well. And sometimes that's taking away God's opportunity to provide. What if God wants to show up and do something amazing that's really and we're good. to run to a loan to have a banking institution provide that we're not looking to the provider? No, that's such a powerful, I love that. Uh, actually, I just love the testimonies you are pulling out already with with these pieces. And, you know, and at some level, just beyond the, I mean, the opportunity cost of just taking a loan out, then suddenly you got X amount of your budgets locked into paying debt off. And it doesn't, even as being missional, it doesn't leave you very flexible to make any responses because you're locked into stuff. And like we all know, um, just because I know we're talking a lot of pastors, and this isn't about making anybody feel bad, but seminary costs a lot of money. You know, it, it bothers it bothers, um, you know, me, I had, you know, I had some, um, you know, some student loans too, but I, it was a lot cheaper when I was a student than it is now. But at some level, if, if we end up having a huge amount of student debt, for example, um, that pretty, it sort of limits where you can say yes to, uh, to go because you might want to take this job. You may even feel the Lord's in it, but <laughs> sometimes you think, well, has the Lord in it if I'm not going to be able to pay my student loan payment, right? And that, that's really hard. Yeah. One word, freedom. I mean, yeah, that's what you yeah. described. So you're free to follow when you're debt free, you're free to follow God's call. Like you said, if God's calling you to be a missionary around the world in a remote area, um, you're not first thinking about, well, I have all these debts to pay off. I can't do that. Where your answer is continually no, because of having those restraints. So um, you know, a lot of education has been poured into now and with students, I know that, and I'm, I'm thinking it's changed and shifted. It has at United because a lot of people, a lot of students were signing up for loans, but taking out the max more than they needed to take out. And a lot of that was just more lack of education and training. You want to say more yeah, to that? Yeah. So the Lilly Endowment, I know really tried to help seminaries help their students. And one of the things that United that was the most impactful was truly just packaging. They used to say, hey, here's the max you can borrow. So we're giving you the max. Now they say, hey, here's how much you need for your tuition and fees. We're packaging your debt to cover that amount that you've applied for. If you need more, you can talk to us. But then when that encourages a conversation, hey, if you borrow this much more to cover living expenses, Here's going to be your payment when you graduate. I mean, so often people think, "Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna borrow. I'll just pay back later." And you just keep saying, "Later, later, someday," and just keep pushing it down the road. But our decisions today affect what happens tomorrow. Both the debt impacts tomorrow, but also starting to save. I mean, sometimes you think, "Well, gosh, I, I want to retire someday, but I'm never going to get there." Well. It's that steady plotting that Rod Ross mentioned earlier. Sometimes that steady plotting works the same way. It, it works the same way on investing and saving for retirement. You've got to start it now. And if you do a little bit every paycheck, that adds up. But if you think, oh my goodness, I need so much money. I'll get to it someday. Maybe I'll win the lottery. 
likely not. No, <laughs> You've got to no. start start today. And you might say, oh, I should have started when I was so much younger. Well, I love that Chinese proverb, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Yeah, I love that too. And, um, you know, I wanted to ask a question about finances in the church. Because uh, I mean, everything that we've just said, it just, uh, it seems to me it's missional to help people with their finances on multiple levels. You're legitimately doing a good thing. You know, our country's had has had financial problems. So since that's true, since um, money is such a big per part of everybody's life, it's also the last part to be converted. I've heard multiple people say that's exact same quote too. Why then does the church, would you say, tend to shy away from talking about finances, except, you know, when they're doing the offering on Sunday, or maybe doing a stewardship campaign once a year, or every decade, or however the community does? What do you, what do you all think about that? In some places, it's become faux pas to talk about money. I mean, you don't talk about money. You don't ask someone how much they make. You know, you don't you don't have those conversations because those could lead to awkward conversations. But if we love people, if we want them to grow, I mean, one of the biggest issues I'd say for the church in North America is just greed, consumerism, and it's infiltrated the church. So if we want people to grow in their faith, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is is not evil, but money can also be a tool. And it can be a tool for good. So if we're not talking to people about their finances, we're not going to help them grow. But there is such a stigma about it. And part of the challenge, too, I would say, is some pastors and leaders in the church aren't there themselves. And you can't lead someone somewhere where you aren't going yourself. So it really starts with the pastor, the leader of the congregation, leading the way. I remember being at a funeral of an incredibly generous, wealthy woman. And the pastor was sharing how she challenged him in his own giving. She said, Hey, I know you can't give the same dollar amount as we can to the church, but if you're asking us to give a percentage of our income, you should be there too. I mean, you don't have to be the biggest giver, but are you tithing as a pastor, as a leader in your church? You can't, or, and are you borrowing large amounts of debt personally? I mean, if you want the congregation to grow, you've got to start taking that responsibility to grow yourself and you don't have to be there yet. But when you start going in the right way, you can lead people to say, hey, this is the direction I'm going, come with me. Good, that's good. What, what about John Wesley now? Um, I mean, we're all, we, we're all in the Wesleyan family, so we know Wesley, but why, what did you find it about Wesley's sermons on money that have remained helpful now, you know, what, over 200 years after he wrote those and preached them? Yeah, I mean, in the book, we highlight quite a few Wesley sermons, yeah. and, um, you know, I think the giving part, truly amazing, um, how he was able to give more every year to the point that he had nothing left pretty much when he died. Uh, but one of the early influential uh, moments in his life was when he, I think he was just frivolously blowing money. And uh, there was a woman in need and he didn't have enough money or means to give to her. And from that point forward, God had convicted him. Um, about how he was using his money. The other factor was Wesley's upbringing, having, you know, numerous brothers and sisters. They didn't grow up wealthy. And so that was kind of in the back of his mind as well. And so earning, saving, giving, I think are all 
um, things that we hear about today. Um, the earning piece that he spoke about was, you know, do it in honest means. Um, don't overexert yourself or make work your God. Um, so there's a balance in that. So there, there are some things that we have forgotten he has said that I think um, maybe we don't hear about much in sermons or in teaching uh, that really need to be revisited. Yeah, I really liked, again, we're not going to give your whole book away. Hopefully some folks will actually want to, want to read it. But I thought uh, that was one of the real strengths of, of, of Money Talks, that you really did integrate the, the theology and the really well. And again, I, again I, it's not like I'm a Wesleyan scholar, but I learned some stuff about Wesley that I didn't know about. So I, again, I want to commend you for uh, doing that and, and doing some of the balanced things that you just said. We Most people can, well, not some Methodists would say they know Wesley said, earn all you can. Mm -hmm. uh, save all you can, give all you can, but it's just the sound bites. And I thought you all really unpacked that and talked about the the pros and cons and what Wesley was really getting at, including not working too much, earning the money ethically, and the key pieces that um, we don't always uh, see, um, at least in the popular depictions of, say, entrepreneurship. Um, mm -hmm. So I really like that about your book. Uh, what's what about God? What what would you say God's view is on earning and investing money? Um, and just contrast that and say something about some pictures in the Bible, like uh, in parables, like a lot of folks will take like the rich young ruler when Jesus tells him to sell everything, give it to the poor. And you get that impression, like if I'm going to be a Christian, I have to and follow Jesus, I'm literally going to give up everything. So how do you help people to find um, a biblical view that both takes into consideration that we trust God for the future, yet at the same time, part of trusting God means we, you know, we make some plans, we have contingency plans on our own, uh, you know, whether it's an investment account or a savings account, or maybe both. We had a friend back when we lived in Kentucky who mm -hmm. challenged me and he said, Callie, I don't think savings biblical. And I said, what do you mean it's not biblical? But I never really wrestled with, okay, how is it biblical? Where, why, um, and I started to think, well, is that my own personal theology that I've then patched the Bible to? So I started doing some digging and you see throughout scripture that there are those that God calls to give up everything. There are others that God blesses with an abundance. I mean, you think of King Solomon, who was one yeah. of the wealthiest people who has ever lived, but he didn't, he wasn't seeking wealth. He wanted wisdom to rule. Like his heart was so focused on God that God said, okay, I'm going to bless you with wealth as well. I mean, you see folks that are both wealthy and poor throughout the Bible. And some of the women in the early church too, yes. that were leaders, uh, led the house church movement. And, you know, we did a series at our church recently called Hidden Figures. And so we looked at some of these New Testament figures in the Bible. Do you want to share? Yeah, that was really neat to me. We just, we picked four different women. Yep. Um, we picked Mary Magdalene, Phoebe, who delivered the book of uh, Romans mm -hmm. and Lydia and uh, I'm forgetting one other. Yeah. Oh, oh, um, Dorcas, Tabitha. Yeah. Uh, so we looked at these different women and as we were going through, we realized, wow, each one of them was generous. I mean, they were all women that were underwriting the early work of the church, whether it was providing for Jesus and the disciples or providing for Paul and the movement of house churches, but every single one of them were generous and wealthy from different ways in their own right. But it, their wealth was not for themselves. They used their wealth to be a blessing to others. It's good. It's good. 
Yeah, it is always amazing what uh, a reading of the whole Bible actually does for one's uh, one's view of uh, of pieces, and that is one of the again that's a whole other conversation about persons like Lydia and just even the way the Christ following movement actually spread through in some ways. Um, significant and some wealthy persons were actually some of the patrons early on so that's a that's a good model for uh, for persons who have means especially a lot of folks in the in the west so let's talk about spending because <laughs> yeah. again we could talk about getting out of debt and investing and giving yep. but but that's the thing that people get hung up on we live in a consumer culture we're bombarded by commercials constantly um we're basically the objects of marketing probably every waking hour, whether it's our cell phone or it's just pretty incredible. So what does spending look like from a biblical perspective? And, you know, what I'll just, I'll just leave it open to ended that way and see what you all want to, how you all respond to that. And how do we glorify God, I guess, in our spending? Yeah. I'd say spending, it can reflect your values. Yeah. So you can tell a lot about what a person values by looking at their credit card or checkbook statement. I mean, wherever they're spending their money, if you look at where it goes, does it line up with what you say you value? And that's something I encourage folks when they're trying to figure out their finances, trying to figure out where do they start with the budget? Mm -hmm. We'll start with looking, where does your money go? But also start thinking, what are your priorities? Like as an individual, not money priorities, but what are your just personal priorities? Are your dollars going to those things? So you say you value family. Well, are your dollars investing in family or are they being invested in things that actually distract you from having good family time? I mean, maybe you cut one of the TV video subscriptions, but do a, a subscription to like a family camp or parks or going on a family vacation together to spend some of that me memorable time together. Or I noticed um, when I was looking at my own spending, I said, gosh, I'm spending a lot of money eating out. Like I value being with friends, but I could even just cut out drinking anything other than water. Like I could just get water when I go out with people, still spend time with people. And then that's money that could go somewhere else that is a much higher priority to me. Tell them about the Starbucks story. Oh yeah, I was leading a women's Bible study and we were meeting at Starbucks because hey, great convenient <laughs> meeting location. Um, nothing against Starbucks. We actually mm -hmm. met at Starbucks of all places. So I owe Starbucks to meeting my husband, but um, we were spending a lot of money there. And one of the women in our group said, what if we just met at one of our houses, made a pot of coffee, but then took that money we were spending and put it in a jar. So we just got a random jar. We put money in there every week. We still had coffee and good quality time together studying God's word. But then at the end of the semester, they were all college students. We took that money and we went actually and bought a lot of canned goods for the food pantry at our church. Wow. So we were working together on a common goal for something good um, and just being intentional with how we spent our money. I, I love that. And that's just that, um, that's that classic uh, illustration of the small things done consistently over time yields extraordinary results. And uh, what an easy shift. Um, I mean, I know even when I was trying to get myself out of the hole and stuff, um, you know, I try not to neglect my kids. And, but I do remember I, we quit just ordering, we just got water when we'd eat out, we'd go to a reasonable place. And, uh, and that, that's, that's a game changer, just little things like that. Um, when you notice them. And then I love how you've, you did the investment piece there too. You just redirect the, the money. Do you all have a tip then? Cause you've talked a little bit about, you have to be aware of that. And you've talked about budget. 
So if like a person's listening and let's say you were going to sit down with them and coach them a little bit, what's your first tip for a person who literally has, you know, Hey, I, I owe, let's just say I owe $10,000 on credit cards. I, you know, I can't even tell you what I'm spending my money on. What, where do you start with a person to get them to kind of focus, to get the kind of insight where they could begin to make a difference? You got to start by figuring out where it's going. And so there are a lot of different ways. I mean, you can, if, especially it's hard if you, especially if you've got things in different places, um, we really advocate if folks are married to do your finances together. Yeah. Um, if God's called you to be one, that your finances are generally with that and your spending decisions affect one another. And so figuring out where it's going, doing it together. Um, we use, um, an app called mint that pulls in we can link all of our accounts pulls everything together i think dave ramsey's got a similar spending tracking app and you can even within that develop a budget so it helps you know where the money's going Mm -hmm. and then budgets aren't set in stone i mean i really encourage people figure out where the money's going try to make a budget based on that but then check it you know like pay attention to it see okay am i always overspending in one area often you have to make a lifestyle choice like we mentioned switching from ordering a beverage that costs money to drinking water i mean often there's a lifestyle choice that you have to make to really actively live within that budget um but then also if there are areas that you tend to splurge in that you know say you love to shop for clothes or say you always break the eating out budget i mean what are the areas that you tend to overspend well then put some things in place i know um some folks advocate well go on all cash for me if i have cash i don't have it doesn't go through the mint app so yeah, i don't pay attention i spend to it, it quicker <laughs> so for me like i'm better off having something that is tracked but also um you know knowing for me like grocery shopping can be an area that i tend to overspend so that's something i have to watch more closely um, and I try to limit it to going just once a week rather than going more often. I find the more often I shop, the more more I spend. And so same with clothing. Like if you tend to overspend on clothing, if you do it by going stores, don't recreationally shop. Don't, don't go out and just spend a couple hours wandering around a mall. Or if you do it online, you know, just staying away from Amazon or for, from those online sales, you might need to clear out your emails and hit unsubscribe because you're getting those mm-hmm. ads constantly, as you talked about. So there's got sometimes some things you have to do when you know you have a weak area to really put some structure in place to help. I think that's really helpful. And I like the flexible piece too, because, you know, some people do advocate cash, uh, but then again, depends on your age at some level, right? So some like most people, if they're younger, tend to have probably been cash less their entire lives. Whereas like I, again, I'm, I'm only 52, but I remember, you know, cash writing checks um, and then um, the credit cards weren't instant. You just, they had this little machine and stuff. It's just, yeah. you know, so amazing, right? Uh, now everything just like magic money just pops up. And so it just kind of depends on your context. So I appreciate your flexibility on, on how you answer that. Cause people got to so figure out the system that actually works, that lets them see. So I'm basically here. And the key thing is you have to be intentional, make sure you know where the money's going and then um, and finding a way to, to, to track that. Talk a little bit about, you know, you both in a really interesting role. Um, uh, Callie, you, you, you work in, the, in development at, for United Seminary and, and Roz, you work at United too, but you're also a pastor. So you both um, work with donors, essentially. It's, uh, it's uh, all volunteer money coming in. So what have you learned from that work about, 
you know, not, obviously not guilting people into giving. It's actually the opposite. How do you invest in people so that you're growing their hearts, growing generous hearts so that they can give or even plan to give down the road, you know, really generously? So what, what have you learned from your, your, your roles as pastor and like a director of development? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the church. Um, you know, the church is unique because no nonprofit has 52 Sundays a year to be able to solicit funds. I mean, <laughs> and so, you know, oftentimes the traditional method during the offering time is just like, okay, now we're going to take up the offering and there's no thought about it. And so we use those as vision casting opportunities to show people what their missional dollars are doing. Um, so we not only cast vision and share about all the things that's going on, but then uh, we also take the time to thank the congregation. So if they've done a good job, let's show some appreciation to them, um, especially during the pandemic, that, that was huge. So, um, you know, Andy Stanley says, preach, teach and celebrate on it. Um, and so we try to use that as a time of preaching and teaching, and then we celebrate them. Uh, so 52 Sundays a year, remarkable. Um, we also, you know, have what we call an investor's night, a kingdom investor's night. And so we do this about twice a year where we kind of give them a, a report. Hey, here's how your dollars have worked. You're, you're investors in this. Here's the state of affairs. Here's where we're at. And here's where we want to be in the future. Um, here's what we'd want to add, whatever that may be. And so we give people an opportunity to ask questions and we, we couch it in a worship opportunity. So people are worshiping together and then we're able to celebrate as well. Um, so I think that, and then, um, being able to do handwritten cards, um, to show appreciation. So we send out quarterly statements, which a lot of churches don't do, um, when people get quarterly statement, it can tell them, okay, here's, you know, maybe I'm not where I want to be, but we, you know, again, we use that as an opportunity. It's another touch. It's a, it's a vision casting opportunity as well. Um, and so go ahead. When's the last time you asked someone to give to keep the lights on? Yeah. You never, people don't want to give to a light bill or even though those <laughs> things are important, right? Um, Cause we can't do it without that, but um, they want to, they want to give toward a vision. And so something that is compelling. And so the role of a pastor um, is that vision caster, vision crier, but also you're the one that's ultimately responsible if something goes wrong. I mean, really, we, we want, we can't bury our head in the sand. Um, in my tradition, being a Methodist, if there's impropriety. The bishop's not going to call my finance person, maybe, maybe not, or a parishioner. They're going to call me, you know, and so I've really had to school myself on this. I'm actually working on an MBA right now. I'm, I'm about to finish an MBA and I never oh. thought I would, but I see the importance of having financial principles and stewardship principles integrated in the life of the church. It has to be holistic. And if you don't understand finances, that's okay. You don't have to. I mean, early on in our marriage, I, came, I had a business background. And so Ross would come to me and he'd say, can you, can you summarize this business? Can you look at this with me? And like, what do I need to be paying attention to? And so ask people, I mean, ask people. And I know there are some churches that say the pastor should know what people give. That is an area that needs so much stewardship. 
Um, and so I really encourage folks to get some information. I mean, even if it's just, hey, here are the different levels that people give at, and these are the people in these levels. Um, because if someone's not at a level commensurate with their income, there might be something else, like the rest of their finances might be a mess. Like they yeah. really need some extra help and encouragement in that area. And just some help knowing like, hey, God's blessed you to be able to be a blessing. It's an, an area, what, 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 what do you think God might be calling you to yeah. do with that? blessing that you've received. And I won't have, so if you want to be on our leadership team, we want to make sure people are tithing. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not tithing, we can't even put you in consideration to be on the leadership team or even be on kind of the finance team. Um, and so for us, that's, that's one of the markers along with being in a small group and serving in those things. So I can't tell you how many times I've heard a church find out who's giving and realize that the finance team, they're they are tipping. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're not giving generously. They're just throwing a few bucks in here or there, but yet they're controlling the finances. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to that scarcity and abundance mentality. I mean, you often get folks on that finance team that have a scarcity mentality and they're not gonna be willing to invest in the future of the church. And with that abundance mentality, I mean, that's what you're doing on Sundays is you're casting that vision. You're not, and it's not the ship is sinking. And even if the finances aren't a mess, like don't hide that. There's a way to be transparent, but also to call attention to what God's doing and what God might be about to do. It's it's definitely a balance there because you don't want to pretend like everything's perfect when it's not. So there's being transparent, but there's also, hey, here's what we think God might be calling us to do here. Here's a way to grow. Um, when I came to United, the finances were not in a good place. I mean, I came in summer 2015 and that fall, they had to lay off a third of the staff because wow. yeah. um, enrollment had tripled in four years. And so they quickly grew expenses and staff to support that when that was probably a season like Joseph had the seven years of plenty that they should have been kind of storing some of that away, getting in a better spot financially. But as some of those big graduating classes came through, it created a financial crisis and they had to do layoffs. And um, we had to raise an extra million dollars on top of an annual fund of about 750,000 in the course of five months. Wow. Our president was brand new. I had been there maybe six months before and fundraising is based on relationships. So we started praying, like it all depended on God and meeting with people as whoever would meet with us, just talking to anyone and everyone, telling them what happened, being honest, but also sharing, here's what we're doing about it. Um, but will you invest in a miracle? Because we don't think God's done with United yet. And we didn't just raise 1 million extra, we raised 1.2 million extra, because That's that fantastic. is the amazing God we serve. And then we just, but we didn't stop there either. We kept addressing the other issues. You know, we've been working to pay off the debt and we started a campaign to pay off $4 million left on the mortgage. And we are, it was our goal date in October, the 150th anniversary of the seminary, we've got less than 400,000 to go. And we've got a matching donor who's covering half of that. So we're in striking distance. So we're doing some of those same financial principles we'd encourage for individuals, you know, getting the finances, the budget in order, but then working on getting out of debt. And then next we want to save for the future. So how do we grow the endowment for the long-term health of the seminary? You know, balancing the, we don't want to get so comfortable, like trusting on the finances. I've seen churches too that like, they're like oh, well, we'll just pull it from the endowment. Like, 
no, there's still a dependence on God, a need for generosity. So it's keeping that trust in God, inviting others to give, to be a part of it, making sure every gift is appreciated and thanked. Um, and I would encourage anyone who's like, I don't know if I could ask for money or talk about money, start with thanks. I mean, that is always an easy way to start. You know, start with thanking the givers. I mean, and often people, if they're thanked, they're gonna give more. I mean, they just, if they know their gift made a difference, they're likely to give again. So if you're trying to think, oh, I need to do something in my church or my organization, start with just personally thanking donors and telling them the impact of their gift. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's such great advice. And and I just, I even know in my own, in my own life, um, <clears throat> to get to abundance, it, you have to, it starts with the gratitude. So I remember the easiest things I just started doing, I've been doing this for years now, but I mean, just keep a gratitude journal, everything I was grateful for, even if, I mean, I, and that's so critical, especially when you feel like you're in scarcity is to practice grat just the gratitude thing. It opens it up so much. I also love that uh, both of you've emphasized several times, um, you know, this is my words, but in a sense, some um, financial progress starts with telling the truth. And it's not, and I've heard you didn't exactly say it that way, but I'm hearing that come out. We don't pretend that things are better than they really are. We don't pretend that things are worse than they really are. We just tell the truth. And at some level, that's the breakthrough point when a congregation and institution goes and tells the donors the truth lays things out and then without losing the future and also love the part, yeah, let's have an endowment, but uh, we still need to give. And, uh, you know, at some level, that's the myth. Everybody wants to be financially independent, but that still depends on a trust and some kind of a future. And, um, and at some point, there's probably never going to be a place where you'll have a courage free future sort of being in God's kingdom in the eschaton, I suppose at that point. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I really appreciate the insights that you both just, uh, you just gave. Um, talk a little bit about where can people find the book uh, money talks where, 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 where can folks find it? We can find it on amazon.com any major book distributor and marketsquare.com as well. That's okay. our publisher. We are actually, we wrote four sermons with this book Oh, cool! that is going to be available on Outreach Magazine, uh, which is a major online publication. And so yeah. people can download those resources for free along with sermon series graphics, uh, bumper, social media graphics, all those things packaged together. Because I know how hard it is for pastors to preach on stewardship. And so we just wanted to create a tool, not just for pastors, but also book studies for individuals and others. Yeah. And, and I know um, from just engaging with, uh, with your book, uh, it's, it's easy to read, which is always critical if somebody's, I mean, again, if the pastors are listening to you, you've done the MDiv, so you probably read, uh, you can read this book, but if you're a person that doesn't, isn't a huge reader, this book is completely accessible. It's got actionable material it connects the faith with finances, which is not always easy. It's usually one way or the other on a book, but I felt like this book was really balanced. So just a tremendous resource. And, you know, I want to thank both of you for putting the time in to actually write this for, uh, for, uh, for really the world, but especially for Christians and churches. Yeah. Our prayer is that it'll just bless people and help people go closer to God in their faith and to be wiser stewards. Um, really just praying that God will use this, to bless individuals, bless churches, and bless a lot of lives as they grow closer to the Lord. 
Well, let me ask you just a couple of last questions. I like to ask this of all my guests because uh, this is the deep dive spirituality conversations. Uh, so what do you do to keep yourselves grounded spiritually so that you can thrive and flourish in you know, your role as author, as husband and wife, in your professional uh, roles too? So what, what keeps both of you grounded spiritually? Yeah, yeah um, our answers may be similar, but... <laughs> Um, for me, it's trying to practice Sabbath, which is always a struggle. I'm Enneagram three and so I'm always on the go on the move. Yeah. So you can relate. So I, that helps center me. And then something that I started to do in the past year and Callie's done for a number of years is, uh, practice spiritual direction. And so, uh, doing that virtually in this season has uh, been helpful. Yeah. Another thing I do is I do a lot of journaling. Um, my mind gets distracted and wanders off when I'm praying. So I will write my prayers because it keeps me on track more. And if, you know, that, that helps me grow deeper. Another thing that we've done to help us um, navigate it is we're trying to get date nights back in. We have three young kids. Our oldest is four and our youngest just turned one. And so she, the youngest was born a couple months into the pandemic and it just felt like date nights went out the window. And for us, um, God uses us in ministry a lot together. Um, in fact, we started a podcast, the better together podcast, cause that was my prayer when I was single, God kind of threw out all of the, you know, he must be so tall and, um, you know, must be Southern because I was from the South and I needed a Southern gentleman. Mm -hmm. And of course I married a New Yorker, but <laughs> you know, that, that just kind of, you throw all of those requirements out the window. And my prayer just became, God, if I'm supposed to get married, help me to find someone where we can serve you better together than we wow. can apart. And so it's been cool how God's used us for both at United Seminary. Uh, we both do a lot of, Raz's on staff at the church. I'm on the preaching team there, but we do a lot of ministry there. And then um, just with this book, it's kind of flowed out of that. So with that, we can do so much working together that if we're not investing in our marriage together um, and our faith together as individuals, but also as a couple, that can be a challenge. So we're working those date nights back in. We're kind of monthly. We're trying to get them more often than that, but that's another piece of it. No, that's, that's good. Obviously, uh, I'm a uh, Tuesday, Tuesday afternoons, my wife and myself's uh, date night. Again, we have it easy because uh, we do share six kids, but uh, the youngest <laughs> is now the youngest is 20. So we are okay. So, uh, uh, so, but it's, uh, that's definitely a challenge. And it's a good testimony too that even when you do have young kids, you still got to find a way to stay connected. So I'm just glad you all said that. So, uh, how about a couple of books, a piece that have been, that have impacted you outside of the scriptures, um, outside of the scriptures, what have been some books that have helped you either spiritually or understanding stewardship better? And I'll, you can answer in either category or both. That's on the stewardship side. Uh, we mentioned the Crown Financial Ministries Bible study. And if you don't want to do the Bible study piece, I think the book that goes with that is called Your Money Counts by Howard Dayton. And then um, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn's another good one, again, on faith and finances. And if you're in this role of fundraising, uh, I love The Spirituality of Fundraising by Henry Nowen. It's a quick, quick read, but it really gets to the heart where fundraising's not... Um, uh, the dirty work. It's not like this, this terrible job, like it, it, fundraising itself is ministry. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the ones on the finance side. I love, you might be able to add more on just the different ones in faith in um, general. Really? I mean, I know this is cliche, but I got more out of reading Wesley's sermons and preparing for this book than I did anything else. So 
I would say that's a great starting point for folk um, to really dig deep um, is to, to look at that. And then if you want to look at some modern stuff, um, you know, you can look at like Verizon's stewardship, uh, who that's kind of a, a stewardship consulting company. They have great principles though. And um, what's the other one that, um, uh, Generis as well. Yeah, Generis um, you can provide some great learning tools, um, you know, from consultants, top, top consultants that help work with churches. So that's uh, that's really good. And again, this is a, an area everybody can do better in. And to me, this is, uh, you know, those of you listening, if you're, you know, if a pastor, I've always thought uh, if you wanted to plant a church, if you do recovery ministry to help people break out of uh, addictions, if you do uh, debt management, financial planning, um, and then if you just take care of the local school, you can always uh, have a really impactful ministry. And obviously, this whole conversation has been about one of those that one of those triads, which is getting the money right. And again, so grateful for this book, uh, Money Talks. Hope everybody takes a look at this. And and also, I guess, give us a website where they can connect with you. You talked a little bit about where to find the book. But if, say, somebody wants to reach out and say, hey, we'd love you to talk, come talk to the church or our Bible study group about um, about uh, money do on Money Talks. Um, are you all available for that? And how would folks get a hold of you? Yeah, they could reach out on um, rosariopicardo.com. And that's for both of us. We'll have to, I'm sure, change the URL at some point. But rosario, R-O-S-A-R-I-O, picardo.org. Cool. All right. Again, thank you both for sharing your gifts with the world. Uh, so grateful to have you on uh, today. Right. Thank Thanks you. for having us. It's been joy. Thank you. Thanks. And for everyone for listening, thank you for listening all the way to the end. And until next time, live by faith, be known by love and be voices of hope in the world. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm so grateful to have you as a listener and if you found this episode particularly helpful, would you take a couple minutes and share it with friends through your social media networks? And if you could also please leave a review, especially on iTunes, as that will help other people to find this podcast. I have links to all of the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes. And I also want to highlight www.centeringprayerbook.com. That will get, is a link to give you some resources and allow you to sign up for updates for the release of my book. It'll be out in September 2021, Centering Prayer, How Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. Again, until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope to others.